welcome to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast with co-founders and hosts, Tracy Callahan and Deborah Doak. Each week, we tackle another tough topic to help professional divorce coaches maximize client impact and cultivate thriving practices. We also want to spread the word about the expertise and value that certified divorce coaches bring to the table. At DCA, we are committed to ongoing learning and we value generosity among divorce coaching professionals. We believe that when one succeeds, we all succeed. Welcome back to Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. I am Tracy and I am here with Deborah. Hi. Uh, how are you? Fabulous. I have coffee. <laughs> and excellent. Hopefully anybody listening in the morning has got some coffee as well. So today we are talking about ditching legalese and loose language and why these things in our clients agreements can reduce can cause conflict with the hope of reducing conflict, right? So most divorces are not legally complicated. We say this all the time. They just aren't. But there are two things in many legal divorce documents that complicate the process for clients. And guess what? Increased conflict. Yeah. And you know what that is? Deborah, you know. I know what it is. Are, are you listeners thinking? You might not be picking up on this one, but it has a lot to do with language. Mm-hmm. Language that's difficult to understand or language that's too vague to provide post-degree guidance causes confusion in our clients' agreements. So today we want to talk about helping clients ditch the legalese and loose language in an effort to reduce conflict. Yay. Yay, we always want to reduce conflict. So have you ever seen a divorce settlement that's so full of Latin words, statue reference numbers, and outdated old English that you feel like you need a law degree to understand what it says <laughs> all the time? And that's what we refer to as legalese. And while lawyers seem to love it, the rest of us hate it. We just don't like it. Okay. So according to the Cornell Law School Legal Information Institute, legalese informally refers to specialized terminology and phrasing used by those in the legal fields and within legal documents. Legalese is notoriously difficult for the public to understand. It's a foreign language. Key features of classic legalese include long, wordy, complicated sentence structures utilizing a passive voice and obsolete formalisms and the usage of Latin, archaic, or unnecessarily long words when simpler and clearer language exists. I always love to think that this is, you know... Attorneys just trying to justify their existence, right? They spend all that time in law school. They really just want to use all that terminology, right? But efforts to write legal documents in plainer language date to at least the 1970s when President Richard Nixon declared that federal regulation should be written in layman's terms. Shocker. Right. However, studies suggest that legal language has changed very little since that time and the use of legalese persists. 
This is often attributed to legal professionals who believe that legalese increases the prestige of legal jobs, impresses clients, and protects the market demand for legal services. Yeah. 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 Exactly. They feel good about themselves when they use it. They feel good. It's it's impressive, right? It sounds like this esoteric language. Um, I recently read an article in the MIT News. And uh, what caught my attention actually was the title. And the title of this article was Objection. No one can understand what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah. In the article, they summarized results of a new study from the MIT, from some cognitive scientists at MIT. And they actually have determined just why these documents are so hard to understand. After analyzing thousands of legal contracts and they compared them to other types of texts, what researchers found was that lawyers have a habit of inserting long definitions in the middle of sentences. Now, linguists have previously demonstrated that this type of sentence structure, they call this center embedding center embedding makes text much more difficult to understand. Yeah. And while what they found was this center embedding had the most significant effect on comprehension difficulty. The study also found that unnecessary jargon, right? Latin words, et cetera, also contributed to comprehension difficulty. So there was a reporter at the Boston Globe Kevin Lewis, who wrote an article kind of summarizing this research. And what he said was, in other words, what sets lawyers apart from lay people is not necessarily their greater familiarity with legal concepts. It's that they've been trained how to handle such esoteric language. Yeah. Right. They've Mm -hmm. been taught how to read and interpret these things. Yeah. So it's really curious. Now it's like a secret club. Yeah, it is. Um, so in the study, they quoted another. There's a gentleman named Eric Martinez who happens to be a licensed attorney. He's now a graduate student at MIT in the Brain and Cognitive Sciences Department, and he says what they're attempting to do is this: they want to make legal language more straightforward because it will help people understand their rights and obligations better and therefore be less susceptible to being unnecessarily punished or not being able to benefit from their entitled rights. Yeah. Right? I mean, who are these agreements for? Right. The law is there, right, to protect people's rights. But if we can't understand the law as it's written or the documents the way they're written, how are we, A, going to be able to know what we're expected to do, what our responsibilities are so that we don't get punished? Or know what we're entitled to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the a big secret, right? It's a big secret, right? So yes. And 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 often clients feel that they might need that language, right? To protect themselves. If, right. if anything happens, they need to be fully legally protected. But the problem here is, is that we know that one of the things that these agreements are supposed to do, aside from, yes, 
legally deeming a divorce on a couple. So they are no longer legally married to one another, but they are meant to be engaged with and followed, especially when it comes to parenting plans and custody agreements. Right. So the thing is, if if an attorney is the only person who can read and understand it, then that also perpetuates the paradigm that I have to have a lawyer. Yes. And I I can't interpret it myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which leads to, again, engagement of the court over and over and over again, right? Right. Which now is becoming deemed litigation abuse, right? Where people are utilizing the court system. So as divorce coaches, how can we help clients feel confident their agreements aren't filled with confusing legalese they don't understand, or that's really difficult to interpret. <laughs> well, as always, we need to be cautious, extremely cautious that we are not participating in UPL, right? Yep. Unqualified practice of law, but we work with clients and we can work with clients to advocate for clear language, review parts of their agreement that aren't clear, explore needs, interests, and goals help clients document questions for their mediator or attorney as they're reviewing their agreements, detail what they would like the agreement to say, right? There's so many things that we can do to support clients in moving away from this legalese thing, right? Yes, right, 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 right. So what would that look like in a session, right? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. Well, it might include actually going through their agreement with them, section by section, line by line. I don't know about you guys, right? But even in my own life, when I, I get a lease agreement or some big contract, I just signed a, a, a lease agreement the other day. And it was, I don't know, maybe 40 pages. Yeah. I read the first two and then literally by the third (laughs) pages, three to 40, I was basically scanning it. I wasn't really reading it. I wasn't incorporating any of it. And I was like, okay, whatever. Right. And that that was an everyday experience. So for our clients who are doing this, right. Yeah. They, they, they might just lose focus on this and just be like, okay, well, I guess it's okay. I guess it's okay. I trust my attorney. I trust my mediator, right? And it is not UPL to go through the agreement with your client. It is UPL to interpret it. It is UPL to give advice about it. It is not UPL to go through the agreement with your client and ask questions, right? So the goal isn't to give advice, but to ask those powerful questions to help the client evaluate their understanding of each part and each section. Absolutely. And if we hear anything that indicates they're unclear, we help them explore what questions do they have? What were their expectations for that section? And maybe help them brainstorm some clarifying language so they can go back to the drafter of that agreement and advocate for themselves for what they would like it to say in plain English, right? So, or have somebody have them interpret what the meaning is. Interpret what the meaning is. So, I'm going to give you an example real quick. This is text from an actual draft agreement of a client of mine. (laughs) So, here's what it says 
I'm going to, I'm going to read you this. And I, I want you to tell me if this is clear to you, if you're not an attorney, what this means. Subsequent dissolution. Nothing herein contained shall be construed so as to prevent either party from prosecuting to completion any action for dissolution of marriage or for absolute divorce against the other in Florida or in any other forum having jurisdiction, nor to bar the other from defending said suit, nor to prevent the institution of such suit on any other competent jurisdiction." In the event any such action is so prosecuted, the parties shall be bound by each of the terms and provisions of this agreement, and the provisions of this agreement shall be incorporated in such judgment or decree. It is understood, however, that notwithstanding such incorporation, this agreement shall not be merged in such judgment or decree, but shall in all respects survive the same and be forever binding and conclusive upon the parties." <laughs> okay, I can't swear because we don't have an explicit rating, but does anyone without a law degree understand what the heck that means? Yeah. Surely there is an easier way to say what the intention of this paragraph is, right? Yeah. This is yeah. from a, a mediated agreement, right? Yeah. Hi, it's Deborah. Did you know an ICF survey reported that four out of five coaching businesses fail? Ugh, that may sound shocking, but we do not believe you have to be a statistic. If you're struggling to build the coaching practice of your dreams, stop trying to do it alone. Join us twice a month for the DCA Case Consultation and Mastermind Group, where you'll get professional mentoring. Be able to discuss your complex cases and your frustrations and get feedback and share resources and ideas with other divorce coaching professionals. You know, we say it every week on the podcast, and it's so true. When one succeeds, we all succeed. And DCA is committed to helping you get there. Just go to divorcecoachesacademy.com and click on continuing education to learn more about the case consultation group and sign up to join us this month. We hope to see you there. Yeah. And, and, and this is an interesting fact also as a meteor in Florida. I'm, I'm enjoying this because this is, uh, Florida. This Tracy didn't write this. I did not. And nor, <laughs> nor would I, by the way, but often what happens because in Florida, mediators can draft agreements, right? So often, even non-attorney mediators will start taking templates of language and throwing them into mediated agreements. And they might not even know what the hell they're saying. Oh, sorry, I said hell. But anyways, right? The the point here is, is there is utter confusion, right? right? And right. what happens, what happens when there is a lack of clarity or confusion? Right. Fear. There's a I don't know what I'm supposed to do, what I'm obligated to do, what my rights or responsibilities are. Yeah. So what's going to happen to me if I don't, or what does this mean? Or is somebody going to come after me or, 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 right. Yeah. So that was just an example of, you know, my client and I read through that and I said, do you understand what this means? And she said, no, do you? And I said, no, I said, you know, so we clarified it. We asked all the powerful questions and she was going back to the mediator to understand what the intent was yeah. and see if we could put it in some plainer language because that was confusing to her. It was yeah. great. Yep. So, and, 
And, and, and being able to support clients and doing that, right? Right. Their agreement, because I am going to say there is a lot of individuals who do not thoroughly read their agreements prior mm-hmm. to signing them. Right, right. Just don't. They're not. They're not. So two things when we're helping clients. One is the legalese, right? We can really help them read through and make sure that the language is clear, that they understand it. So legalese, the second part is loose language. Mm-hmm. And it really can complicate things when we have lo- loose or what we call vague language. Yeah. So let's broad. talk about yeah. broad, broad, broad loose, right? Vague. Yeah, because lots of times in an agreement, there will be agreements about future things, right? Somebody's got to transfer the title to a car, pay off a debt. They're agreeing to share children's expenses, something like that. So we want to help them think through the who, what, when, and how, right? And the what ifs. So you want to use your ninja listening skills. Yeah. When you hear them talk about future fears or what if he does this? What if she does that? What if he doesn't? What if she doesn't? Those are the things we want to think about putting in those details. These The details in a plan are what prevent future conflict. Yeah. And and, and I'll give you two examples of this that are yeah. very common, right? Yep. The first one is shared legal custody or shared decision-making. Parents will, parties agree to uh, cooperatively share in all major decision-making regarding their children's lives, period. Period. People that went to court and had a trial <laughs> because they couldn't come to a decision now are court ordered to make joint mutual decisions. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, so what does that actually mean? What are those major decisions? And then what if they don't agree? That very vague, loose, broad, over-encompassing language creates opportunities for conflict. Mm -hmm. Another one, right? Clients are uh, in agreement that says that uh, they will communicate with one another and receive approval, right? Let's say it's travel out of state and they have a mutual agreement clause and then party notifies other party that they're traveling and other party needs to respond. Well, what happens when the other party doesn't respond? Right. Right. Another example, a very broad, vague language. So being aware of those things is going to help your clients prevent conflict, prevent future conflict, or at least minimize future conflict because there's specificity. There's some detail in terms of, okay, well, what does this mean? And what then, if this means this, then what? Right. right. That then forward thinking into those other steps that very well can be incorporated into these agreements. Let's talk about decision making for a minute mm. and some of the some of the things that can help tighten that up. Yeah. What are some of the options that couples have when they have joint legal decision making? Mm-hmm. And let's say about a medical decision or yeah. an educational decision. And now mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad don't agree. Yep. In the vague parenting plan, what do they do? They're just frustrated. But in a detailed parenting plan, what could be in there that yeah. could help provide some guidance? Yeah. So usually the first question to a client back in, in the work that we do is really, okay, so what might that look like? 
right? What are your options? What are your choices? Again, our role is not here to tell clients what to do, but to help them in that thinking process to get clarity. They need to be able to say, okay, yeah, of course, we have joint decision-making. We're not always going to agree. We're definitely, vaccinations was a wonderful thing that we saw in COVID, where individuals shared joint medical decision-making, but had completely differences in terms of the COVID vaccination. So what happens, right? And exploring those options, a potential option is that somebody could have overriding decision-making authority. So if there is a disagreement, maybe mom has overriding decision authority on medical and dad has on religion, whatever. So that's an option. Another option is, is, well, what would you do in any circumstance if you disagreed? One of the choices may be to consult with a professional right? If it's a medical decision that the pediatrician or the dentist or the orthodontist or the therapist, right? In regards to ADD meds, we see this all the time, right? One parent is says, okay, well, the child needs ADD meds. And the other parent says, no, right? When we look at the best interest of children standard, how can we as divorce coaches support clients in exploring what those options are if disagreements may happen. And yes, disagreements will happen. Yeah, they will. They will. So who else could be a neutral opinion to come in as a tiebreaker? If the child has an IEP team at school, if they have a therapist, if they have a pediatrician, if there is a a youth leader at church or yeah, who else could it be? Yeah. And then, of course, always that sort of third option, too, is using alternative dispute resolution processes, right? Yes. Parent coordinator or going to mediation to help a neutral facilitator support those conversations, right? Which most agreements now do talk about ADR, but specifically within that joint decision making, that shared legal custody, that shared decision making, yeah. being Forward thinking and understanding there will be disagreements will help clients generate ideas and options as to what might that look like and how might we be able to handle that, again, with the goal of preventing future conflict. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's the the what ifs and the who, what, when, where, and how. Mm-hmm. Thinking through the details, right? Parents will share extracurricular expenses 50-50. Okay. What expenses? Da da da. All right. And oh, what, how, how am I going to show what I paid? When do I have to submit a receipt to the other parent? How quickly? How do I submit the receipt? When is payment due? How are they going to pay me? Right. All those details. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we love a detailed parenting plan. We <laughs> absolutely for the, do. For the, goal of, for the goal of keeping an eye on the best interest of the child and minimizing conflict to support a productive and healthy co-parenting relationship, right? So this legalese, this vague, broad language is, mm-hmm. is something, they're big warning signs, right? That we can help our clients navigate. And and yeah, It's okay to say to said attorney, why is this language here and what does it mean? Right? What does it mean? Understand. Can you help me understand? One of our favorite questions. Yeah. Can you help me understand? And 
is there a way you can revise it so that it sounds like English? Yeah. So it makes sense to me, the parties who actually have to execute the agreements. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, this is about empowering our client to be in charge of their own divorce process. This is their agreement. Yep. Theirs. It's their agreement. And so regardless of whether it's a a mediator or an attorney or some other paraprofessional helping them create this agreement, it's still their agreement and they have a right and an obligation to understand every word of it. They absolutely do. So we just wanted to bring this up today, legalese and loose language. If we can help our clients kind of push back against those in their document, we will really help reduce and minimize future conflict, which is one of our goals. I mean, they worked so hard to get through this process, to get this agreement negotiated. The last thing that they want is to turn around and have more conflict. Yeah. So hope this was helpful today to talk about legalese and loose language with clients. And we welcome you back next week when we'll talk about another topic. See you then. Thanks for joining us for the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. It helps other divorce professionals find us and add to the conversation. And don't forget to follow us on social media to be the first to know when we add new classes and events. We'll be back next week with another topic to help you maximize client impact, create a thriving business, and promote the value of professional divorce coaching.